there, and welcome to the podcast, Biblical Questions. Glad you've taken time out of your day to download our program and listen to it. We hope and pray that you will be edified, that you'll grow closer to Christ, and have a deeper desire to read and study the Bible. Today we're going to talk about uh, the birth of Jesus. What does the Scriptures really say about the birth of Jesus? There's a lot of uh, misconceptions, I think, out there, and so let's let's do that. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to open it and follow along. We mainly will be in the Gospels, but we'll, we'll bounce around a little bit in the Old Testament as well. I'm going to start by reading Micah chapter 5, starting with verse 2. It says, But for you, Bethlehem, too little among the, the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be the ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has bore a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel, and he will arise and shepherd his flock. In the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. So today I, I kind of want to do some maybe some reality uh, checks or questions, just kind of see how uh, you might answer uh, some of these questions that are typical. And then we will look at the Bible as our authority and see what uh, it has to say. So here's a true and false uh, quiz for you. Mary and Joseph had to travel as quickly as possible to Bethlehem because Mary was pregnant and could give birth at any time. The second question. The Bethlehem innkeeper was fully booked up. There was no vacancy. And so Mary had to give birth to Jesus in a barn or a stall uh, somewhere behind the, uh, the inn or the motel. Initially, uh, this experience must have been frightening and, and lonely for Mary and Joseph. You know, the song is, The Little Lord Jesus, No Crying That He Makes. The experience might have been frightening just because they were scared and young and had no idea what to do. Uh, another question is, uh, The angels who appeared uh, to the shepherds had wings. So, how did you do on a quiz? What do you think you did? So let's check our answers here. And if you want to open your Bible to Mark chapter 14 and mark it there, and then turn with me to Luke uh, chapter 2, verse 7. Some of you uh, in the podcast already may have noticed that uh, there's claims in, in the gospel that the gospel accounts are in serious conflict. Uh, perhaps somebody you study with has tried to make the claim that Jesus was born in a stable um, in Luke. But if you read Matthew's account, uh, he was born in a home. In reality, the, the two accounts, as it would turn out, are not really a conflict at all. Uh, contrary to traditional Christmas story, all the movies that we might watch, Jesus was indeed born in a home. Uh, the claim is based off a, a notable King James Version. It's really just a mistranslation uh, of Luke chapter 2, 
verse 7 says, And there was no room for them in the inn. Uh, that is the King James Version. And this word inn in, in the Greek is spelled K-A-T-A-L-Y-M-A. Okay, so if you're taking notes, it's important to write that down. K-A-T-A-L-Y-M-A. Don't know how to pronounce it, but there it is. So, over the centuries, the, the Christmas story has been recast. It's, it's been uh, made into like almost a romantic-type novel. Uh, some kind of Christian mythology, maybe. But what does the Scripture, what does the Bible really tell us about the birth of Jesus? Well, one... Uh, there would probably have been no inns in a backwater town, a little dirt town, we might call it here, uh, in, in Bethlehem. They would have been found along main roads, yes, uh, in Jerusalem, more than likely. But the word for inn, as we spelled it here a minute, a moment ago, excuse me, K-A-T-A-L-Y-M-A, it is the same one used as a guest room, uh, of a private house. We might call it in today's English uh, the spare bedroom or the guest bedroom. And this is mentioned in Mark chapter 14 uh, and verse 14 and then over in Luke chapter 22 verse 11. The room where the Last Supper will be uh, partaken or eaten in and the, the Passover meal. So let's read uh, Mark 14 Verses 13 through 15. And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the owner of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room? And there is that Greek word, K-A-T-A-L-Y-M-A. Okay? in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples. And he himself will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready, prepared for us there. Okay, so also this word in Luke chapter 2, verse 7, that we read just a moment ago, this guest room, is different than Luke chapter 10, uh, verse 34. And that Greek word there is spelled P-A-N-D-O-C-H-E-I-O-N. And that is also used as the word N-I-N-N, -N, or motel, we might call it today. Where the man is beaten severely, and he's taken to an inn by a compassionate uh, Samaritan, often referred to uh, as the Good Samaritan uh, story in the parable. The innkeeper there, again, spelled differently here, uh, P-A-N-D-O-C-H-E-U-S, and and such inns would uh, no doubt have been located along a, a, a main uh, travel area or road, we might call it today, uh, between Jerusalem and Jericho. And so, um, Joseph, here, here's another, we talked about this uh, a moment ago, I asked. Joseph, no doubt, would be a considerate uh, and loving husband. Matthew chapter 1, verse 19 says, 
and Joseph her husband being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her planned to send her away secretly. Uh, Joseph would have taken plenty of time to find Mary a place uh, to give birth which Luke chapter 2 uh, verse 6 indicates. So Luke chapter 2 verse 6 says while they were there the days were completed for her to give birth. While they were there, okay, notice that, in Bethlehem. Now, the days were completed for her to give birth. So, Mary would give birth uh, after she had fulfilled her days or a, a time uh, frame, uh, a duration of time, somebody might say. Uh, although some people really seem to miss this, I, I think the passage clearly identifies a sufficient time in Bethlehem. They're there already in Bethlehem before the birth of Jesus. This was uh, planned out by Joseph. He's not going to take his uh, pregnant wife uh, on a long trip, uh, walking or riding on the back of an animal uh, with her water about to break. I don't see Joseph as that kind of a husband. In the culture of this day and time, uh, they really valued uh, being uh, loving family, open their doors, uh, caring. Uh, Joseph would have insulted his relatives in this day and time by going to a motel or, or an inn. Rather, he would stay with his relation, who had already uh, would have made room for his wife, who was pregnant, expecting to give birth. Even if the guest room was crowded, and the birthplace had to take place in, in a main living area. It would seem kind of crazy, I guess, uh, ludicrous, uh, given the importance of this hospitality in the Middle East, that Joseph would have no place to stay among his relatives. Especially, if you really study this out a little further, uh, he was in the house of David, or in the line of David. Uh, he's royalty. He's, he's got King David's blood in his veins. And so his wife was expecting. And if Joseph could not find a place for Mary after a few weeks or so, uh, he would have gone back to Mary's uh, relative Elizabeth, who, who really lived in the same area. In Jesus' day, uh, animals and shepherds, uh, their, their uh, sheds, we might call them a barn today, but, but they were typically attached to the house. In Palestine, a manger was uh, not normally found separate uh, in a separate stable somewhere else, but rather it very well could have been in the main living room of a peasant's house where animals were brought in at night. And there's a book if you, uh, you could read about that. It's called The Evidence for Jesus. Uh, it came out in 1986 by, uh, let's see here, Varsity Press. Excuse me. So, and the author's name is R.T. France. And he talks a lot about uh, this, this subject. Uh, the New Testament scholar uh, Keith Bailey, he also notes that the manger Christ he was laid in was built into the floor of a raised terrace of a peasant home. So this stall... Uh, next to the house argument is what Luke chapter 13 
uh, verse 15 assumes. Do not each one of you on the Sabbath untie his donkey or his ox from the stall and lead him away to water him. So when the wise men show up in Bethlehem, uh, they come to a house. Matthew chapter 2 verse 11 says, After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening up their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, uh, these gifts are highlighted uh, as indicating uh, a fulfillment of what an Old Testament scripture anticipated. A, a new covenant was in the making, and one that would involve uh, Gentiles. So in Zechariah chapter 14, verse 16, it says, Then it will come about that any who are left of all the nations that went against Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to celebrate the feast of booze. So when we, when we see the Gentile wise men, magi, uh, they're coming from afar to visit a newly born king, Jesus. They bring uh, gifts of uh, gold, uh, frankincense, and myrrh. There could have been other gifts, but these uh, seem to be the ones that are highlighted in the scripture because of a certain Old Testament uh, scripture that refers to the coming in of the Gentiles to worship the true God and to honor the Messiah or the King. And Isaiah chapter 60 uh, speaks of this uh, dawning of the restoration. It mentions uh, ex exiled sons coming from afar. And the wealth of the nations will come to you. In verse 5 it says, Camels here from Midian uh, in the south, they will come. And they will bring gold, frankincense, this idea of a kingship or messianic uh, psalm of 45 is also cited in Hebrews chapter 1. Now, I'm not going to read all of those. I certainly hope that you would do that on your own. Uh, the king's garments are, are fragrant with myrrh in Psalm 45 verse 8. Uh, the psalm speaks of Israel's king as being over the prince in all the earth, in all the peoples, and that would include Gentiles. Uh, they will give uh, thanks to the king forever and ever. Now, the coming of the, of the uh, wise man or, or the Magi, it also singles in, again, we've already said this, the coming in of the Gentiles because of the day of the Messiah dawn. It, it's here, it's the end times have arrived. Uh, furthermore, uh, these men, they saw Jesus, a star rising in the east, as we all know in Matthew chapter 2, verse 2. Uh, we anticipate uh, this from uh, Balaam's prophecy, uh, the days to come. A star shall come forth from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel. And that's in Numbers uh, chapter 24, verse 17. And we need also understand that these men here, when, where they are coming from, they raised and trained kings in their countries. If you could not become a king without their blessing, 
And I think there's some kind of underlying symbol there as well that the scripture does not really say. Uh, but these guys are showing up again to, to acknowledge Jesus is the king. The gospel uh, again portrays Jesus who is uh, reaching out to the Gentiles. And as a Gentile, I'm very thankful for that. He is telling the Jewish people to give up their nationalistic or their social agenda, and they need to begin to follow his agenda. Uh, the Jewish leaders, I mean, they really are preoccupied with traditional symbols, land, temple, the law, especially Sabbath and food laws. They, they really will stress those. Uh, they're occupied with this kinship, this heritage, and and these blessings of, of having material things. And Jesus, he, he will criticize the entire temple system. He will pronounce judgment on it, symbolized by his uh, cleansing of the temple where he overturns the tables. It, it, was, it was necessarily tied uh, to the Old Testament, to the Old Covenant, I should say, with the nation of Israel. But Jesus complained about the failure of the ruling priest when he cleanses out the temple. Not that there was selling necessarily going on, but how they were selling it. They were taking advantage of people. Uh, they were really just being thieves. And instead of being a place of prayer uh, for Gentiles and the regathering of Israel's uh, exiles, it really almost fosters this oppression. Uh, they neglected the needy. So, Here's another one we talked about in our True and False uh, quiz. What about the angels? In the verse of uh, the Christmas carol, the words that came upon a, a midnight, midnight clear, we come across these words about angels. Still through the, the cloven skies they come with peaceful wings unfurled, and still their heavenly music floats over the, over the weary world. In the carol, uh, angels from the realms of glory, uh, they are called to wings your flight over all the earth. The Bible does speak about angels and angelic beings as cherubim and sephirim, which have wings, and we can read about that in Isaiah chapter 6. However, most people do not know uh, this exact usage of this word angel in the scripture indicates they really don't have wings. Uh, they always appear in, in the form of men. So example, uh, in Genesis uh, chapters 18 and 19, there will be three uh, representatives of God. They will come and check out uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, the three will appear to Abraham and Lot. Uh, two come uh, to him while the third uh, goes to Gomorrah. Although they appear as three men in Genesis chapter 18, uh, verse 2, Abraham, if you notice, he, he immediately recognizes them as angels, uh, somebody special from God. And when they appear to Lot, they are called two angels in Genesis chapter 19. And Lot takes a little longer to recognize him as such, but he does do so. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, which refers to these passages, uh, the writer of Hebrew writes that uh, some have entertained angels without knowing it. 
Uh, this suggests that these angels appear as men without wings. If they had wings, uh, they surely would be recognized, uh, almost immediately, I would think. In the book of Judges, chapters 13 through 6, says, First we, uh, we read that the angel of the Lord, and in verse 3, appeared to uh, Samson's uh, mother. The, she reports to her husband, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like an angel of God. Very awesome. Uh, Daniel chapter 3, uh, verses 24 through 28. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, he will see four men in a fiery furnace, in, in verse 25. He then says this, Blessed be the God uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, whom they put their trust in. And that's in verse 28. Resurrection narratives also talk about angels in the gospel accounts. Uh, although, I'm not going to take the time to read all of them. I'm just refer to them. Uh, the narratives talk about angels are at the tomb in Matthew uh, chapter 28. The first couple of verses there. Uh, the angel of the Lord in, in John chapter 20. Uh, Mary Magdalene uh, saw two angels in white. Uh, the other two gospel accounts I speak of them as men in Mark chapter 16. They saw a young man sitting on the right wearing a white robe in Luke chapter 24. Two men in dazzling clothing. Then on further into the, the New Testament, Acts chapter 10, an angel of God in verse 3 appears to Cornelius. Uh, the angels later referred to as a man in, in shining clothing. So... This, this line that we have here about a way in a manger it is quite familiar probably with to most of us uh, listening to the podcast today. The little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Uh, this picture really represents a Jesus who apparently never cried as, as an infant and perhaps uh, never really needed to wear diapers or a maddie mess while he was eating as a, as a baby. Uh, however, I think we must be really careful about stressing uh, or overemphasizing Jesus' deity and, and not stressing his humanity. Uh, Jesus was truly God, and he was truly human. Um, some people uh, think um, that Christ is seen to be human, but he really was not. There's a, there's a version of, of Gnosticism which came into to full bloom around the second century. And, and it, it stressed the following ideas. A, a secret saving knowledge is available only to a select or enlightened few. Ignorance, not sin, is the ultimate human problem. Another thing that they taught or believed was the body is evil and the spirit or your soul is, is good. A belief that tends to produce uh, self-denial. Something else that they taught is uh, about their history is, is unimportant. It is insignificant. If Jesus, uh, that being the Messiah, play any part in the Gnostic beliefs, he only appeared to be human, but he was really divine. God could never take on the form of an evil flesh or human body, and God could never suffer on a cross. So, 
we can commit to the same Gnostic errors by uh, focusing too much on Jesus, uh, his divinity, and downplaying his humanity. Uh, the same applies to Jesus' temptation. We might say, well, of course Jesus did not sin. He was God. But really, the scripture is pretty clear that portrays Jesus as a person who struggled. And it was not necessarily a breeze or easy day for him to do the will of the Father. Uh, he was not play-acting in any way. Hebrews 4, uh, 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. And then in the next chapter 5, verse 8, Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And so Jesus really uh, is very human. He was hungry, he, he cried, he wept. So here here's some lessons, I think, from the Christmas story. I just kind of want to summarize some of the lessons that we have talked about in this podcast. And I want to encourage you to keep on reading and examining the scriptures. I, I did some Greek words early on. I, I really enjoy word studies. I think it really helps. I try to understand the text better. That does take a little effort and, and time to do that. And you need the resources. Of course, with the internet, uh, you can do that a lot easier today than we could just 20 years ago. But we need to make sure that we do not let tradition uh, prevent us from gaining this, this fresh insight from the Bible and adjusting our, our idea, our, our theology, when it's called for. There's nothing wrong with celebrating uh, Christmas, exchanging gifts, I know many people do not believe in celebrating Christmas for various reasons. One is there's no scriptural command uh, to celebrate uh, Christmas, and that would be true. And uh, I would say this. Without an atoning death, you, can, you have to have a birth. And the scripture is very clear about a virgin birth. We need to be careful not to uh, say that Jesus uh, cannot really identify with us. Because the scripture, as we read earlier in Hebrews, says that he can. Uh, we should not try to make uh, Jesus' birth more pitiful or lonely than it actually really was. And we can celebrate uh, the Emmanuel, the, the God with us. And there's more uh, right there, Emmanuel, that that word meaning God with us, even with uh, some adjustments in our understanding of the Christmas story, let us celebrate and say thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to this earth. Uh, a little side note here: uh, Bethlehem in Hebrew means house of bread, and Jesus was laid in a manger's livestock, where livestock would eat from. I think it's interesting how Jesus was born in a town that means house of bread, laid in a manger uh, where animals would eat. And in Jesus' ministry, he, he would make the statement that he was the bread of life in John chapter 6, verse 53. By accident, I don't believe God does anything by accident. I certainly hope that uh, you've all had a good Christmas.
and that you celebrated with your family and your friends and you had a good time and a peaceful time. I know this time of year can be very stressful for a lot of people and we certainly hope uh, and pray that everything went well for you. We ask that you continue to pray for this podcast and encourage you to go to our webpage and read more about us there. There is a prayer request page that is slowly growing. And also there you can find a place that you can support us through PayPal. We certainly would appreciate that as the year year is winding down quickly. And the first year will bring on a new financial responsibilities to keep the podcast going. If you have any questions that we can answer over the air, we certainly uh, would like that. You can do that through our contact page and submit that to us. Or you can email it directly to us at biblicalquestion, all lower, at juno.com. Our webpage address is biblicalquestion.com, all lowercase. And there you can also find links to our social media, uh, Twitter and LinkedIn. And we're trying to get Instagram going. And so please pray for us as we pray for you and the persecuted church each and every day. Again, thank you for listening. May God bless you. And may he have the glory.